Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Backspin once again. Great to be here. Thanks to the team at Inside Golf. Check out the Inside Golf website, insidegolf.com.au. I think I just broke the record for saying Inside Golf the most number of times in 10 seconds. Larry Canning, you'd agree with that? You can't say it too often. Inside oh, Golf, there's 11, Stephen. It's my favourite phrase, my favourite name. I love Inside Golf. Yeah, good it's bunch back of in, It's back in publications, Steve. Yeah. We're all, all, all up and running. I'll tell you what. One of the people we, we really admire at Inside Golf is the editor, Richard Fellner. And, uh, oh, John, really? Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's busy. Mm. He's a busy man. He's writing here. He's writing there. And Overrated. You don't read it? Overrated. What about Richard. your column? How's that going? Oh, that's, uh, that's underrated. Yeah. What's well, up to page 84, I think, Steve. Excellent. Yeah. Moving, no, moving, it's, it's going, fo- moving forward? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's gone from 89. It, it bottomed at 89. Okay. 84, I, I, that's a real positive. You'll be front page Crossword news before you know it. What are we uh, talking about today? We're, we're talking to someone. You're a big admirer of this young lady. Yes, yeah, Sue O, Steve, professional golfer, uh, an amazing amateur career, turned professional a few years ago, did some wonderful things in amateur and, and has done some great things as a professional, but I believe the best is still to come. We spoke with Sue a little earlier and uh, you'll hear this in the interview. It's fascinating to hear Sue talk about the first time she was at a major tournament <sighs> as a player that? because she'd just turned 12. 12 years old, Steve. The Australian Open. Australian Open. She played in the Australian Open. The ladies' professional, an LPGA event. And it's fascinating to hear about that experience from her point of view. I mean, she's 24 now, so it's 12 years ago, but it's fascinating to hear about someone that young being put into that position. So we'll talk with Sue O very soon in Backspin. Larry, you're going to, you've got a bit of a product of the the month, the week, the year, whatever we like to call it. It's to do with our old friends at Bridgestone. We touched on it a couple of shows ago, Steve, about golf ball, the importance of what golf ball you use. It was a tip. We're going to take it a step further. Bridgestone have a find the right ball for you fitting system. It's online, and I'm going to put you through it, Steve Anderson. Put me through it. I'm going to put you right through it. And we all, we also get used to you spitting, you know, mouthing off about yeah. uh, whether it's Brooks Kepka's spitting or whatever it is. You you know you get down on things and you have to get it off your chest. But this time round, you're going to rejoice. Oh, I'm going to have a rejoice, Steve. I'm happy. Okay. I mean, there's so many reasons why we should be down and depressed about the world the way it is but I just I want to go the other way and have you got a tip for us as well I do have a tip yes it's a secret it's going to be he hasn't got it he sees he's just sitting here preparing his tip as we go this is what the tip's going to be Steve the tip is about your set makeup Okay. What number irons you have, what what hybrids, what wedges and stuff. Okay, excellent. It's all coming up in Backspin. Thanks to InsideGolf.com.au. The Backspin interview. Thanks to Inside Golf. Sue O was the world's number one ranked amateur women's golfer at the tender age of 17 back in 2013. But since then, she has carved out an incredibly impressive professional career across the Australian, European and uh, US women's golf tours. And she joins us right now on Backspin. Sue, hello. Hey guys, how's it going? Going well, and uh, it's great to talk with you. Take us back. Uh, you were born in South Korea. You moved to Australia at the age of eight. You took up golf at nine. What was it that got you started in the game? Uh, it's dad, and he loves golf. And when we first moved to Australia, because I think golf is quite 
expensive to play like on the golf course and like the range is pretty cheap in Korea but it's kind of the opposite here in Australia so he always went out and played and then that's when dad was like going back and forth traveling for work um back and forth from Korea mum was like you should spend some time with the kids while you're here so he took all the kids to golf instead of staying home <laughs> So my sister and I um, started together because my brother was only like four then, five, five years old. So my sister and I started together and then she quit like after not even a year and I kept playing and he lured me in with all these treats before and after golf and and I got to drive the cart when he played at St. Andrews Beach, so that was always fun. So there was a bit of bribery involved in, in getting you to develop oh, that love for the game, eh? Yeah, so much bribery. <laughs> just, you know, drive the cart and I'll give him, like, his putter when he was playing with his friends. And, yeah, it was just good fun like that. Three years later, sir, at the age of 12, you've gone from that, driving a cart and being bribed, to playing in the Women's Australian Open, the youngest ever, and I believe still, to play in the Women's Australian yeah. Open. Do you remember that? I do. I actually tried to qualify the year before as well at Woodlands. I've done it 11. <laughs> yes, I shot like 80, I think. I think the handicap limit was four at that state, or maybe three or four. This was like the old handicapping system. And I think my handicap was just outside the limit. So I think the cutoff was like 4.3. And then my handicap at the time of entry was 4.8. But dad was like, you should just put it in just in case, you know. And they actually accepted me into the tournament. And by that time, when the qualifier was on, I like, lowered my handicap to the like 4.3 three or whatever it was so that was the first time at 11 and then I was a member at Kingswood at 12 and it was just really I got quite lucky it was my home course I played it a lot and, and then I made it and I remember the first round I think I was first off and I was the first one there and it was like 5 30 <laughs> in the morning so it was like pitch black but I was really excited and I didn't actually know like how big the tournament was like I was like oh like there was just a tournament at my local club, which happened to be the pre-qualifier for the Australian Open. Right. And then I got in and it was, you know, like security. I had to like show my badge and there was like player dining. It was all very overwhelming. And, you know, people wanted to talk to me and I had all these interviews that I had to do. And it was like my first week of high school. <laughs> like in the secondary and since then I've always missed out on the first week or two weeks of school because I've you know the Australian Open luckily I have I always made it into the Australian Open since then so yeah I've always missed out on first two weeks of school so if you look at you know school photos I'm never there because it was always like the beginning of the year so to go into a world like that at such a young age it could potentially be really overwhelming for someone you didn't find that do you, do you have sort of vivid memories of that time I do just glimpses I, I remember I was on the putting green I think it must have been before the round and I think Kari was there maybe a journalist was there so they I, I actually got a photo with Kari near the putting green and I just remember like I was playing okay and then the 13th well the old 13th at Metro now I hit it over the back I flushed the shot went over the back and I like hit like four chips from down there and kind of that was kind of the end oh, but um God. It's just like little things like that. I was like so overwhelmed by yeah. everything. 
you got um, through it there, didn't outside you? Outside of golf, yeah. Uh, Not just uh, the playing, but like just like people around. Yeah, and yeah. Mm. It was a bit crazy. Well, just looking at your amateur record, and it, it, w- it was extraordinary what you did in such a quick time. Before you turned professional, you had been the world number one amateur. You, you'd won the Queen's Syracuse Cup with, with Minji. You'd won the Espirito Santo. For those mm. people that don't know what these tournaments are, they're the world's biggest amateur golf tournaments team-wise. So it was Minji yeah, Lee and Sue O there for a lot of years, wasn't it? it was a fantastic <laughs> yeah. team. You're growing up with someone like Minji Lee, who, who was also the world number one amateur, who has become nearly the world number one golfer. During right. those formative years, Sue, with Minji, you were great mates, but you must have been pretty competitive. Yeah, we were really competitive. I think it was, we didn't actually see each other that often because, or well, other than just tournaments, because she was obviously in Perth. Hannah Green was also there as well. Like when we were probably more like 16, 17, 18, we competed together. But we saw each other like so much at tournaments. And I think we, it was really good for one another to play so much competitive golf together. And, you know, I mean, she's had a great career ever since she's turned pro. So it's really cool. Both Benji and Hannah, but obviously Hannah winning the PGA mm. last year. Yeah. Um, that must have motivated you. How did you feel when you were watching that? Well, you actually were there on the 18th green, weren't you? Yeah, I was. And uh, we stayed together too. So it was very emotional. And um, I was actually supposed to catch a flight home. So I was like, oh, I was, you know, talking last the night before. And I was like, what do I do? You know, like to come home, I'd have to like spend a whole day the day after because it's a night flight obviously back home I was like oh, I don't know what to do like I had all this plan like I had a flight to Dallas and it was very tight with the last group so I was like I'll just pack my bags drop my bags off check in and then come back to the golf course oh, did you and then yeah I did but then it worked out because I my flight got cancelled the weather was really bad like in Dallas area so my whole flight got cancelled so we just had to stay another day and after I finished my round I was just walking around I think I saw her 16, 17, 18 because it was a U-draw so I was like kind of last like I was closer to the last group on the 10th team yep. so um, I didn't get to watch that much but you know like everybody was around and Kari watched the whole round and I saw Jared Hannah's boyfriend yep. and he was so nervous and like <laughs> you know, it was just everybody was so emotional and yeah it was very very was memorable it was a low profile win um, it was no pinching the air and jumping and it was just pure relief you could see on Hannah's face wasn't it, it was just like well, I, 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 I'm just so glad I got across the line and just sort of collapsed and then everyone all you girls ran in and, and threw water all over it. or champagne I think it was no but that, was that's Hannah Green though isn't it the only thing we could find <laughs> 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 no one like we couldn't get anything anywhere but it, you know like we don't want to jinx it it was it was so close till the end mm-hmm. so um yeah Beer was all we could find. So you mentioned earlier on the photo with uh, Kari way back when you were, were very young. Were there golfers that you really looked up to at that time in your life, a uh, male or female, not just talking uh, specifically female golfers here, but were there golfers that you really admired and kind of incorporated into what you wanted to do in the future? Probably not just one. I would say I got to, like, I don't know if I, like, started golf to become a professional golfer. I just kind of kept playing. And then I was like, oh, you know, like, I'm going to turn pro. Like, you know, obviously when I got to, like, 14, 15, it was like, yeah, I'm going to turn pro. I really like this. But as I played more, you know, bigger events, I got to meet the players, you know, what they've achieved. And now that I've gone through it, like, I have so much 
more respect and I admire them more as I play more, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Perfect uh, sense. It's an interesting one, actually, that it's not, it was more that um, that progression through the game from a personal point of view, rather than looking at what someone else had done or, or modelling yourself on what other people were doing in the game. It, it all came from within. But then when you got to meet them, yeah. the way they operated sounds like it, it inspired you to just do even more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, like, as you play, everyone's like, oh my God, Tiger Woods. And mm. you know, I'm still like, Tiger Woods is amazing. But... I don't know him, you know. Like, actually, I've gotten his autograph like three times, but I don't know him. I got lucky. Mm, you <laughs> um, could probably stop now, Sue. So he's a yeah, he can stop at that point. No, I mean, he's still amazing. He's a great golfer, so I admire him as a golfer. Yeah. Yes, his achievements, and you look at other players, and their achievements are like, wow, a great golfer. But... You know, someone like Kari, who obviously I knew, like, she's amazing. She's Kari Webb. And then I got to really get to know her. And I think I admire her and respect her even more as I get older. You know how people, like, never meet your heroes. But she's... um She's one that's, I'm really glad I got to meet and I actually can't, you know, I can send messages here and there and I can ask her for help and yeah, she's pretty cool like that. Actually, she did a podcast with Rod Mori recently yep, and yep. she talked about the Kai Web Scholarship at the US Open. And at that time, I, well, I don't think I enjoyed it or took full advantage of it as I should have, I guess, because, you know, I had like tournaments coming up and it was... I didn't get to experiences as much as I wanted to. And I sent her a message saying, you know, like how cool it was, like looking back. It's like me having like other girls at the US Open. And she was still playing, you know, really well when, when it first started. So, yeah, I just like sent her a message saying, wow, really appreciate it. And it's just like little things like that, that mm-hmm. I kind of, I guess, as a younger, you know, so then I didn't really appreciate as much and just kind of took it for granted a little bit. Yeah, I guess as I get older and I've kind of gone through it, mm. um, I admire like little bits of people, you know, different like aspects of different players, I guess. So is there anyone that you play with that you've just walked away and just said, wow, how good is that? I mean, it, it, not not an intimidation because I, I get the impression you're not you're not intimidated by too many players. But you know, someone like an Arya Dutanagan or someone that you've just played with that just thought, gee, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, Arya, I played with her when she won the U.S. Open on Saturday, and it was actually like her putting and her touch around the greens that I was like, wow, yeah, she's okay. she's great. And obviously, you know, like love Nelly Swing. I mean, Hannah that I know really, I know her so well, but I think it's just how composed she is all the time. Yeah. yeah just yeah. her personality. I don't think that's something you can teach yourself. Yep. Yep. So, and she's always been yeah. like that. You've known her a while. Yeah. You know, that's what she's like. So down to earth and just pretty chill. Let's bring you forward to the present. And Sue, we're talking now about you playing, you're, you're heading overseas to, to, play, to rejoin the tour. There's been a couple of events in America that you were obviously um, able to play in, but chose not to. Have I got that right? Yep. So you're starting off with the Scottish Open? Yes. Well, I could have gone to the US, but with Victoria being in, like, really, you know, we couldn't play golf since March till May, like mid-May. I felt like it wasn't enough time for me to get ready, I guess, Mm -hmm. because we had to go two weeks prior as well. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to bother. What's another two weeks off when I've had like six months off, right? So, yeah, I'm going to start at the Scottish and the British and then head over to the US after. Right. And then join the US tour full time from there on. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. The Scottish Opens at the Renaissance Club. The British Open is the one I'd like to talk about. You've obviously played in it before. Have you played Royal Troon? No, 
I actually stayed at the Troon Hotel, but I didn't get to play it when I was there. Your experience in playing in Scottish-type conditions, windy, cold, rainy, <laughs> I'm sure it's not every day. I'm sure they have lovely days there as well, but when we watch it on TV, we always think, that much. That's a, you know, the golf course looks tough enough. Are you okay with all those conditions? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, just kind of, you know hope that you get on the better side of the draw yeah, I guess, yeah. You know? like last year at the Scottish it was crazy I got you know the short end of the stick and got completely stiff with the weather and then it was like great in the afternoon because I texted Hannah in the suspension I said wear lots of layers it's freezing and it's bring like so many towels and then when she played it she was like oh my gosh I'm so hot <laughs> so you know, that's just Scottish you know that's yep. you just have to get lucky hopefully the weather's all right I've heard a lot of crazy things about Troon and I'm actually so excited to play a role Troon I've always wanted to play it and you know to play the British Open there it's very exciting and but for my second event I'm just like whoa I yeah. don't know it's early, isn't it? Hopefully it's it's I'm a tough ready, one. You know, like, yeah, it's just, Renaissance is also a dope course and it's a really good course. It's like right along the coast, so it can mm. get really windy as well. We'll have to see how I go, but very excited. I've actually, you know, shouldn't be that different to Melbourne weather. Like, yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Today, yeah, so. I was going to say that you've played in Melbourne enough to know that to be ready for that. I want to word this the right way, Sue. I've watched you play, I've commentated, I've done radio commentary, I've watched you playing and watched you win. I've always felt watching you that, and a prize example for me was when I watched the Victorian Open a couple of years ago. I was, I was covering it. And mm-hmm. um, and, and I think you were leading or a shot back, 219. Mm-hmm. Seal and have finished up winning. But I watched you on the practice fairway and uh, I, I, I was on air and I said, no one is going to beat Suo. I've just watched the purest half an hour of practice I've ever seen in my life. Were you leading or were you one back? Oh, Vic Open, I get the years next up. I come second there, I think, three times. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, I've watched all of them, yeah. And then you went up on the first tee and it hit a bit of a pull into the left. Then you hooked it off the second and shot 74 on a, on a day that wasn't too bad. I mean, the previous day was awful. But right. I just thought, wow, you know, you've got a very, very impressive professional career, obviously. But when I see what Minji's doing and Hannah, I just want to see Suo becoming yeah. world, world number one or world number two winning a major. What do you think you need, Sue? Are you on track? You're only 24. Oh, I think, obviously, I want to see the same thing. But like you said, I'm only 24, so I'm hoping there's a lot more years for me to make that dream come true. But I guess, you know, in the back of my mind, if it's been my fifth year on tour this year, well, it is, but obviously I haven't played. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's harder to win the longer you're out there or for some you know maybe I mean? like you know some people come out and win straight off the bat yep, and yep, yep. you know they have a great career or some you know they win straight away and then they don't play as well since or maybe I'll play my whole professional career just winning the Australian Masters I doubt we that. don't know but I doubt that very I've, much I've, I've really you know I've, I don't know I don't want to jinx it or whatever but <laughs> I think even this whole COVID thing I got a really good chance to work on my game I think last year like start of last year I I didn't know my swing very well. For, I feel like since I've turned pro, or right, right. you know, my amateur career, I've kind of played with this big draw and. Mm-hmm. 
playing on tour has been different um you know i felt like i had to hit the ball better and and i played you know so many weeks in a row where i've never really done that mm-hmm. as an amateur you know you've yep. always had a summer in australia and then you had like two months to practice and then you go over to the u.s for like you know two months a month and a half and then you come home in autumn and then you just kind of practice or spring in australia i guess and then you have the summer again whereas being pro you have to play every week so i felt like i had to try and find something right. but i had got a new coach last year and he's really he's helped me a lot to understand my swing and yeah I feel like I know my swing a lot better now than I have ever but I guess that's everybody else you know like you kind of learn as you go that sounds like that sounds like the trigger I'm talking about I reckon you're there's special things coming for you Sue it's too good it is going to happen such a good striker just a matter of time and and Sue when you get on that tee you're in the winning position think to yourself I'm doing this for Larry I'm not doing it for me (laughs) I'm doing this for Larry Larry, for my old uh, mate Larry. I would love to be in that position. You yes. will be in that position. Um, Sue, listen, yeah. we really appreciate your time. Safe travels. Hope it all goes well for you. Oh, yeah, thank you. I think the best thing is try and stay safe and yep. away yeah, from, yep. you know, the crowd. And yeah. it's going to be a tough year. But enjoy it. Enjoy too, it. So. Yeah. Enjoy that British Open at Royal Train. We'll be watching. I will. I'm very excited. Good stuff. Excellent. Thanks again for your time, Sue. Thank you, Sue. No worries. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Larry, let's talk product, and it's not a specific product this time, but it's something new from Bridgestone about finding the best fit in golf balls for your particular game, anyone who plays the game. This is about working out what's best for them. Bridgestone's always been big on this, Steve, on getting the right golf ball, and so am I. I mean, I reckon um, we spend a lot of money and time and effort on getting uh, our equipment, our drivers and our putters and, and wedges pay a lot of money for them but the actual golf ball the thing we're hitting a lot of us um, don't take as importantly and we should and we're going to do the Bridgestone best fit golf ball for your game test Steve you and I are going to do this live alright well let's live do live on a recorded podcast Let, let's get <laughs> let's get straight into it are you ready for it I'm ready for I'm it I'm ready away you go ok question one Steve what brand of golf ball do you currently play Srixen ok now what type of golf ball oh, I, which, which model of Srixen I think it's fairly soft you, you'd know better than Yeah, you use the soft feel. Yeah. Okay, Steve. I should know. Question three is my current preference in a golf ball. Are you looking for distance, accuracy, or spin? I'd like a bit more distance because I've I've always, as you well know, I've always been a pretty accurate golfer but never a long golfer. Exactly. So I like that bit of extra distance. I'm going to go there, Steve. Now, your average, your gender? I'm male. Oh, you're male. Okay. Yes. Yep, that's excellent. Um, Yeah. I've always suspected it, but... No, no, no. Yeah, uh, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask an age bracket here, Steve. We can be honest. Yeah. Um you'll be I know and I know your age, you're between fifty and sixty five. Yes, I am. So I'm putting that in. And I'm male too. I don't know what Needed to know that or not, but just now you've got to be brutally honest, Steve. I know yep. you, you've just come out with your mail. You drive a distance. You can't lie. You can't fib. I know you want it to be three hundred yards, but is there a range there? Or we're going to use yards. Yep. There's a range. There's uh, under two twenty. Yes. Two twenty to two forty five. 245, 270, over 270. I, I'm going to say under 220, Larry. I like it, Steve. Yeah. I love that. I've got to be honest. I've, I've always relied on my, my accuracy and not my distance. Now, your average score, I would say you're 18. I mean, you haven't got an official handicap, but you're, you're about 18 yes. handicap. So I'm going to put you down for a score of oh, 85 to 93. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to put you down for that, Stevie. Yep. I know your short game needs a bit of work. Needs a lot of work, a lot particularly of work. at the moment. Now, this is something I can answer for you, your current shot shape. Hook, draw, straight, fade or slice. I'm going to say draw. Draw to, to straight. You've never hit a slice in your life. You have hit a lot of hooks, <laughs> but I'm going to say draw. I'm going to, well, well, when you're playing well, it's a draw. When you, when you, if it's a bad one, it's a hook. But it's not every. You don't hook it. You hit more draws than hooks. I'm going to put down draw there. Your trajectory. This is height, low, medium, high. I would say it's on the low side yeah. of medium. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely low. I'm glad you you agreed with me. I watched you play enough, Stephen. Okay, your golf ball in the Bridgestone Rage, and it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's the E12 Soft Golf Ball, which is a, it's a Serlin-covered ball. You don't need spin. Well, you know, everyone needs a bit of spin, but it's no point getting backspin if you don't hit it far enough forward before it starts coming backwards. <laughs> yeah. so you've got to, it's that old Arnold Palmer um, joke where... Um, and I've actually forgotten what it was, but it wasn't much good anyway. Arnold, Arnold was a great guy, by the way. Yeah, so there, there's yours, Steve. Again, exactly what I thought you were going to be. The other one you might have been could have been the softer cover, but slightly more distance ball. But um, no, that's perfect for you. When you chip, you do a lot of chipping and running because you're not great with the with the lob wedges. Not so at all. That, that'll work again for that too. That, yeah. That's perfect, I reckon. Yeah. I put myself through this before we went on air, and I had a pretty good idea what golf ball I was I was going to use. And it was and on it the came money. out exactly right. Yeah. My ball came out to be the Tua BRX because I can spin the ball a little too much. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about spinning it backwards so much as I when I hit it, it can balloon up in the air a little bit. So so the thing with this is that it's available to everyone at BridgestoneGolf.com. Uh, you yes. can just log it. The other thing you can do with uh, ball fitting from Bridgestone, you can actually send them a video. If you've got a video of your swing, you can send it to their ball fitting experts and they'll analyse it and come back with the, the right ball for your golf game. So it's Pretty clever stuff, pretty clever technology, mm. particularly for people who don't just go into the pro shop. Yes, you know, yes, yeah. Buy a dozen and don't even give it any thought. If you want to give it more thought, this is ideal. It's pretty easy to do. What did that take us? Five minutes yeah, or something yep, like that? Yep. In in the hands of an amateur, so probably three uh, three minutes in the hands of a professional. Got to be honest, Steve. You've you've got to be honest. Got, mate. I was just going to say, you've got to be honest. Yeah, which we were, you know. Oh, brutal. We opened up. Brutally. Um, but if you you're doing, okay, mate? Yeah, yeah, no, it's all hug? good. It's all good. No, I can't it's all hug good. you because yeah. of COVID, mate, but, no. you, you know, emotionally I'm hugging you right but, now. But if you're going to do Particularly it- Particularly under 220 yards, that must have hurt a little. Oh, it must have stung well, a bit. Yeah, you know, sometimes. Sometimes a bit longer, but chin not up, little, little mouse. Yeah, pretty straight, though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, Straight mail. be honest about your game if you're doing it Absolutely. yourself and Bridgestone will come up with the right ball for you. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Larry, impart some wisdom for us. What's your tip this time around? It's about what clubs you have in your golf bag, Steve. You're allowed 14 and I see a lot of people not taking full advantage of that. I see a lot of players with too many clubs in the distance end and not enough down the short iron end. Given that golf clubs these days, that the, the new models of golf clubs have very strong lofts, so the ball goes a long way, like a four iron is nearly unheard of now. And even even a five iron is getting hard to hit and harder to get up in the air because it's going as far as a three iron. So when I see someone with a drive or a five wood, then some hybrids, three woods, and then some long irons, I get rid of all that. You can start your irons off, depending on how high and, and all your specifications, with a five iron and throw maybe a hybrid in. A three wood is getting harder to hit, so have a look at getting more loft off the fairway with maybe a five wood. But down the other end, down the wedge in, that's where you stack it up. And the tour players started this a million years ago. I mean, Tom Kite was the first guy when I was playing to, well, before. 
before that even, where he actually had three wedges. That was unheard of back then. The word pitching wedge is a bit misleading. These days, it's just another iron. It's another short iron. So, And you start talking degrees. So, it, I mean, a nine iron, I'm seeing some wedges these days with 42 degrees on. That was an eight iron back when I was playing the tour. So you need something like a four. You look at the, what lofts you've got on the on the set that you've got. Talk to your PGA professional always before you do this. And you'll probably find you can put a lot of more wedges back in the, in between your lob wedge is 60 and your pitching wedge which is about 44 so load that area up and, and keep in mind you're now hitting those wedges as far as you used to hit an eight iron when you were a bit younger does this apply for every golfer your high handicappers as well or are you talking more at people who are you know lower handicap players i'm talking um probably more high handicap players right, so okay. this particular occasion i mean the tour players have addressed it years ago and they have this set obviously made up properly but the amateurs it's so much easier to try and swing the same each time and change the club than it is to try and adjust your swing for a distance. If you've got a wedge that's going 25 yards further than your next club, yeah, what are you doing? Well, in between there, you've got to take something or a wedge and just hit it really easily. Well, you know, the tour guys might be able to do that, but the, the average player can't. Mm. Just, you just try and have the same golf swing every time and just adjust the lofts. And it's because the ball is going so far, it's not spinning quite as much. When you get close to the green, it does. But launching it has become a lot a, a lot harder job to do. You've got to rely on the loft of the club to lift it. So you've got to, it, it's really important that you have, you know, maybe four, five degrees difference in all your, in, in your wedges going down to your lob wedge if you have a lob wedge. And everyone should probably have one. So why, when they sell a set these days, yeah, why are they sold the way they are? I mean, it's still that yeah. numerically it goes through I the... Know. It's weird, isn't it? It's just tradition. Yeah. After nine is P for pitching, which yeah. in reality it should be 10, 11, 12, and then, then maybe a sandwich or a lob wedge down the end. Mm. It's just forget what's written on it because you see GP, AP, WP, you know, all these different types of letters they're putting on these clubs. But they just should be numbers. They're basically just a nine-iron with a bit more loft. That's mm. all they are. Call it what you like. But talk to your pro. Absolutely, yeah. And you can have a look at yourself. Have a look at the – if you're looking at buying a set of golf clubs, have a look at the lofts, the specs on, on them all, and they'll all – you'll always – you'll be finding now that there will be all these different named clubs, which are just another iron. Good advice. Very good advice. Now, as I said earlier, you normally spit at about this time in backspin, thanks to our good mates at Inside. Inside golf. <laughs> Uh, they, they sponsor your spit. They're happy for you to spit, but you're not going to do it this time. You're going to celebrate. You're going to rejoice. It's hallelujah time from Larry Canning. Well, it's, I think it's just great to have the game operating, Steve, isn't it? Yeah. And wherever you can, play it. And I take my hat off to the US PGA Tour for what they've done and how they've created this incredible you know, bubble. They had a couple of minor issues at the beginning. A couple of guys you know, tested positive, and I think a couple of caddies might have buggered up things a bit earlier there, but they've tightened it up now. Now we're, you know, we're in the middle of our major season coming up, majors, you know, just around the corner. It's time for us to just sit back and say, well, thank you. We can watch golf on TV. We can go and play it. What a great thing it is to have golf in, in this horrible, depressing time. In the world of uh, the coronavirus, and we've said this in previous episodes, golf is a game that you can play and socially distance. You can get out, get your exercise. You don't have to be close to someone you, you're playing with. You can distance yourself and enjoy it. That is great. But as you say as well, watching it. I mean, sport is fantastic, whatever it is. And particularly at the highest level, the fact that we now have the opportunity to 
watch, whether it's golf or rugby league or AFL, whatever we're watching, it's fantastic to have it back. Well done to the PGA. PGA Tour and, and European Tour is now kicking off and the Women's Tour. So they're all doing the same. You know, it's incredibly tight how they're doing it. You know, the, the, the amount of trouble, the amount of um, precautions, the you know, the sanitization. it's extraordinary what, they, what they're having to go through. We talked to Ian Baker Finch, Stevie, didn't we, a couple of shows ago about the levels of, of sanitization that the tour were doing, but also how they were doing a commentary on it from a different state on TV. It was extraordinary. Jim Nance was there at the tournament, but Finchie and uh, and Faldo and, and Frank Nobolo were in a different state totally covering. So, you know, it's, it's it, hats off. Hats off to them. Yeah, very well done. And hats off to you because you've been keeping the, the game going too. Your little uh, contribution down there at Mount Broughton, which is now the world's busiest golf course, isn't it? <laughs> It's going really nicely. And yeah, a lot of golf courses are, um, you know, you feel sorry for the the courses that are in trouble and and some of them are. But I think more often than not, golf, I wouldn't say booming, but it's definitely surviving when a lot of other sports aren't. Yep. Don't make sourdough. Don't learn the guitar. Get out and play golf. People are making sourdough. Who's making sourdough? Well, it's one of those things when, you know, you're in isolation. Yeah, but you've picked sourdough. Well, I don't know. A lot. I I don't pick the right vibe. I'm thinking, maybe. No, they make sourdough and they learn to play the ukulele or the guitar or something. Like that. <laughs> don't do, okay. don't do any of that. Get out and play golf. Sourdough and ukuleles. Larry, uh, thank you for that. Thanks for your time once again. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we'll be back, won't we? At some we stage, we yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we're socially distanced here. We'll continue to do that. <laughs> Larry's in Western Australia. I'm in New South Wales. <laughs> this has been Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. We will talk with you again very soon.